0: Welcome to the Grip City Golf Podcast, your source for new information, insightful interviews, and good old fashioned banter about golf in Portland, Oregon. Today's episode is presented by Brink and Brown Sanitation. Introducing the hosts of Grip City Golf, Andy Dirt Johnson and Eric Peterson.
1: All right, welcome back in, everybody. Episode one, the official episode one of the Grip City Golf Podcast. I'm Andy Durr-Johnson, joined by the mystery man himself, Eric Peterson. What's going on, buddy?
2: What up, man? Good to be back. Episode one.
1: Episode. I think by the time you do episode one, it's like officially a podcast.
2: I feel like a veteran now.
1: You're, like, right, yeah. you're, you're a grizzled vet, man. <laughs> you're ready to, to get the pension package going. I mean, come yeah. on. You brought the Arnold Palmers in again. So this is a new staple, everybody. You got to drink an Arnold Palmer while you're listening to the episode. Uh, we got a ton to get to and we'll set it all up for you here in a moment. Obviously, Masters Week. We're excited about that. Two really cool guests this week. Uh, but before we get too down, you know, far down the road, we just want to thank people, man. The outreach has been amazing. Uh, at Grip City Golf on Twitter, if you haven't followed us, go make sure to follow that account. But I don't know about you, man, but it, it has been fun to see the interaction, the amount of people listening, the responses we're getting, better than I could have imagined one episode in.
2: Absolutely. And what I've loved about it is some of the feedback has been actual, legit, serious stuff that they'd like to hear more about <laughs> yeah. or feedback about how we did, and then you get those hilarious pokes at stuff that we said, and <laughs> I got some texts from friends, and we saw some stuff on Twitter, like, kind of making fun of stuff that... M- most Mostly stuff that I said, but... Uh, I just love the interaction. It's kind of like part of the reason why we're doing this, right, is to like kind of work in in partnership with listeners to talk about stuff that you guys want to hear about. Because we're probably in agreement on most of that stuff. So love the engagement so far.
1: I love that we had uh, a response to a a tweet. And I was setting up this episode for this week. We had somebody that said, because you told the story about playing uh, at Eastmoreland in the PNGA and we had somebody yeah. else that responded and said they played in that tournament, too. So you're finding old friends uh, from over the years so at, cool. at the golf courses. Um, it, it it has been so fun. Let's start with how people made fun of you. And I, I need to push back on this. I'm going to take your side. So you're launching essentially out of this podcast a, tel- a, a T-shirt company. Which I'm all for. I think I think that's the next logical step. Grip City Golf Pod turns into a T-shirt company. We got money somehow. We're like so, let's do it through merch. <laughs> We're gonna start selling some merch. You got some <laughs> crap from buddies because your 66 was from the white tees. Yeah, and
2: so here's my thing. Like, it's a decent score no matter what, and I I believe. And we used to say this at Bandon. Like, whatever tee you think you should play, play the one ups from that, and like. What happens if you like shoot a better score than you thought? It'll probably be kind of fun, right? And I, that wasn't exactly how that round at Heron Lakes transpired, but like it happened. And so, what? Let's move on with our life. So, I created this shirt that said, um, it just says on the front. And if anybody wants to order
1: one, let's do it. Let's do a shirt order. Start ordering shirts, man. It
2: just says green back, white tees, cash money. <laughs>
1: I know when I'm playing Heron Lakes, i got to play from the white tees, because that course, as we highlighted in the first episode, eats me alive. What's
2: wrong with hitting wedge into a par 4 instead
1: of a 7-iron? There's nothing wrong with that at all. I'd rather hit an 8-iron into a par 5. What the hell are we talking about here? I, I think we need to establish something here, too, and that is not only the tees that you want to play are okay. We need to stop tee shaming in this world. But also I think we need to start a campaign for tee awareness. I think there's a lot of golfers out there that play from the wrong tees, totally. thinking that they're better in their head than they are, and it slows down public golf courses. Totally. And they're and like they're probably
2: not playing as well as they would from the one-ups a little bit. It's exactly. all just a testosterone thing. It's like that's all it comes down to. And I so, can handle
1: this shot. I can yeah. hit it that
2: far. I don't have any issue playing up. I think it's kind of fun, especially if you play the one-ups at a, a course you play a lot, and then you get to kind of see the course a, a little bit differently than you would otherwise. Yeah, what's wrong with that? It adds a little variety.
1: So look at us—we're starting a t-shirt company on top of a, yeah. golf, a golf podcast, an awareness campaign for tea awareness, playing the right tees. This is this is—you know—we're we're solving world hunger basically one episode at a time. It's no big deal. So let, let's set up what we have coming up on this episode, and uh, we'll tease it up. So at the end of the episode, we'll get into the Masters. It is Masters Week, and we talked about in the first episode. We're not usually going to preview tournaments or breakdown tournaments. Augusta's a little different. It's it's totally. pretty special, and both you and I have had the chance to go to Augusta, and so we'll share some of those stories and go over that. We have a, a surprise guest coming up later in the episode that will make sense when you hear it. We'll just tell you now it's associated with the Portland Trailblazers, and this was all due to the grunt work of one Eric Peterson. You <laughs> you nailed this thing, and you told me the story. I'm blown away. So you're gonna love that. The
2: right place at the right time.
1: I mean, it, it, crazy. It just it, the the universe collided for this thing to happen, and with us launching a podcast about golf it's great so that's coming up a little bit later on on the episode but the thing that we talked about what we want this podcast to be on and you expanded on i thought wonderfully in the opening episode was telling stories about portland area golf and when you tell stories about portland area golf there's there's one person probably that comes to the list above everybody else i don't know how many and you would know this more than i would how many pro golfers we have from the portland area that have come up here and gone on to be great pga tour players the, the first name is Peter Jacobson, and so you lay the groundwork, you reached out, and, and getting the chance to talk to Peter Jacobson was a ton of fun. We think you're going to enjoy this one. Here's our interview. Uh, just an editor's note, we recorded this a couple weeks back because it matched with his schedule, uh, but here's our sit-down conversation with Peter Jacobson. Peter, how are you this evening, and thanks for joining us.
3: I'm good. I'm good. Congratulations on your new podcast, and thanks for having me on. Thanks for thinking of me. Yeah, I mean, one of the things, Peter, that I know
1: that that jumped out when we were kind of launching this, we get a press release that the Oregon golf program is growing. They of course won a national championship a couple of years ago and we're three ducks here, three guys that went to the university of Oregon and your name's now going to be on a facility down there. So tell us about the Jake, how did it come about and and why that kind of piqued your interest is something that would fit for you and, and, and your brand of golf tying it back in with Oregon.
3: Well, I think it's, it goes back to when Casey Martin became the head golf coach for the men and Derek Radley became the head golf coach for the, for the women. We've always, we've always talked about building a golf course or creating a practice facility for the golf teams simply because so many, golf school, so many schools around the country have either their own course or a practice facility. So this has been in the works for probably three, four, five years. Little did I know that they were going to put my wife's and my name <laughs> on there, my wife Jan played played uh, golf for the for the women at Oregon when we were in school and and I played for the men so that was quite a quite a nice surprise I've been working with Justin Fisher and everybody at the U of O on trying to raise money and we've been looking at schematics and drawings and just looking at all the details and then they they unveiled I got a call from Casey and Derek and Justin and they said they'd like to put our our names on there which was a huge surprise and just a, a, a wonderful honor. Uh, so my wife and I are uh, we are we are we're, we we were so surprised and so shocked, but so so happy to be able to to be able to share that with the University of Oregon.
2: Peter, this is Eric. I, I I saw some renderings of the facility down there. I was curious if you've seen those and like when you saw those at first, I would imagine you thought, why didn't we have that when I was at school there? Did that go through <laughs> your mind at all? <laughs>
3: Uh, yeah, Eric. One thing we didn't have was a, a great practice facility. But but let me just remind you that back in the day when I played at Oregon, there weren't really there wasn't the emphasis on on hitting balls and practicing like there is today. Back then, technology wasn't where it is. We didn't have launch monitors and TrackMan <laughs> and Catalyst and and uh, w- uh, weight. Uh, power plates so or the weight distribution system. so in fact I'll give you I'll tell you something whenever I went out to play at Eugene or anywhere with my brother David and the guys on the team we didn't hit range balls to warm up we just swung the golf club and <laughs> and went out and played so so uh, that it's a different time but because of the technology in the game uh, we've seen this explosion and and proliferation of driving ranges and practice facilities. So the focus has shifted a bit, but yeah, if I could have had this back in the day, uh, that would have, that would have been awesome. <laughs>
1: I love that. You just show up to your round and, and start playing. It's like us when we're running late, you know, maybe a little hungover, you show up to the golf course, you run right to the first E and you tee it off. You're just like one of us, I, you know, And for a, somebody who went to Oregon, I know this, and I'm curious how, I don't know how often you get back to the campus, but you know, my last year there was to age myself, 2011 And every time I'm back on the campus, I feel like I don't recognize it. Does it blow your mind when you see pictures, when you're there in Eugene, just how
3: much that that area has changed? It really does. It's interesting. My wife and I, we go to the football games as often as we can. We love to go to Autzen. And whenever we drive through campus, she was – my wife Jan was a Pi-Fi, and I was a Kappa Sig on campus. And the Kappa Sig house is no longer there now. It's a – now it's a Christian church which the the irony would would, <laughs> would, would destroy the station but uh, <laughs> but but the Pi fi house still stands because they're all oh, obviously a bunch of very nice young ladies but it's it's uh it, it's a sign of the times things change and we all have to we have to hold on to our memories and the great thoughts of what happened when we were in school I don't want to tell you the last time well I I was there my I did, never graduated. I went 4 years and I left there in 76. So that gives you an idea how old I am, but like I said we go back for as many football games as we can. Good for you.
2: Well, Peter, to stick in the vein of amateur golf, but to just flash back for you to your days as a junior golfer in Portland, I was wondering if you could just take us back to the beginning and how you were introduced to the game.
3: We started playing the game because of the opportunity to caddy my father and mother were both good players and we we caddied we caddied for them we caddied in in local tournaments to make money and that's really how we got introduced to the game from uh from from the caddy aspect and then from there we we started practicing and playing with my dad my father erling taught us how to play taught us all how to play and kept us moving in the right direction. He wasn't a teaching pro. He was a good player. So he taught us the knowledge that he had. So really that was uh, that. And it's different nowadays. We don't see that many caddy programs anymore uh, because, because golf court revenue is a, is a pretty significant line item revenue Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) for a lot of these clubs. So, I really love it whenever I see clubs that have caddy programs. Yeah. Well, when did it like
1: stick for you, Peter? Like, when did you realize like, Hey, this is something that I can do. And then how, you know, how early into that process did, did Oregon start recruiting you and did that become a, a reality?
3: Well, I was never recruited to Oregon. <laughs> oh. You're, again, we're going back years ago when there really, there wasn't any much recruiting going on for, for college golf programs because again, there wasn't, that nobody really knew anybody from Oregon in Florida, and nobody in, in uh, West Virginia knew of anybody in Texas. So everything for me was local. The only school that I was recruited to was Stanford. I had a pretty good GPA out of high school. I was the state high school champion out of Lincoln High School in Portland. And I was recruited to Stanford, but there was no greasing of the skids back in the day, especially for a golfer. So, <laughs> I had to get in on my own and uh, I got all the way through the process until the very last uh, uh cut and I got dumped. So, I I ended up going to Oregon because my dad went to school there. He played on the football team. My brother David was going there and I've always been a always been uh, so high on the Oregon golf program, and because of all of the all of the great players that have played there through the years, so I knew that if I didn't get into Stanford, I was going to uh, be able to go play at Oregon be- because I, I'm an Oregonian through and through. Well, we're
2: glad you did. I mean, Dirt and I are both ducks, and so we're super happy that that path diverged in a favorable direction.
1: Well, we're also PIL guys too. We're a couple of Cleveland high school guys, so we got some uh, some inner city PIL guys. Yeah, Warriors. Look at that. So we you know the old old PIL rivalry, and uh, you know I'm curious to ask you. On that note, I take it you didn't get any name, image, and likeness deals then. Uh, You know the the (laughs) system looked a little bit different, obviously. What courses did you grow up, you know, playing on in the Portland area? Where did you kind of you know begin your career of playing in uh, around? Portland.
3: Well we we were pretty lucky at Lincoln. We had a we had a standing opportunity to play at Progress Downs, which is now called uh I think it's called Red is it Red Tail? Red Tail. Yeah, right. Red Tail, yep. Yeah, Red Tail. So we played at Red Tail, but we played all of our matches at Rose City, uh East Moreland, uh Red Tail or Progress. Uh we we had we had access through the PIL to play those courses in our matches. And it, it was just great. And I, 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 now that I've been all around the country and had a chance to play a lot of public golf courses, we are so lucky in the city of Portland to be able to play such great city golf courses. And I know I heard a rumor that the city of Portland was thinking about closing or shuttering some of the golf courses or or maybe all of them because they wanted the land. I think that'd be a terrible mistake because golf and the the opportunity to play golf—it's a great outlet for people to be able to go out and, and enjoy a game they love. Plus, it's a it's a great great revenue generator for the for the city of Portland as well. So, I hope uh, you know. Listen, we all know I don't have much faith in anybody that's elected to office <laughs> nowadays, especially especially down in the city of Portland with what's going on.
2: Dirt and I have talked about what you mentioned Peter about the the rumors that the golf courses could be on the chopping block and he and I have both agreed Dirt and I that if they if it ever came to that we would be camping up at the top of the trees to make sure that nothing's cut <laughs> down and nothing is shut down so.
3: <laughs> so well, Peter, I, I might join you yeah. <laughs> because that, that would be a that, that would be a pretty cool thing to do and to protect our great courses. Yeah.
2: So so I wanted to touch Peter real quick on the comment you made about how your dad taught you the game. I was wondering if you could just maybe share a story about maybe something that he he taught you about the game of the gol- uh, about the game of golf that you carried with you throughout your career.
3: I think a turning point for me was my father was all about decorum. He was all about acting and uh, playing like a gentleman. And I had a real hot temper when I was a kid. I was a junior player And if I didn't hit the proper shot or I had a bad round of golf, I'd go nuts. I'd go, I'd go, I was a human volcano. And we were playing down at the coast, Oregon coast. We were, we were playing Astoria country club. My dad, my brother, David and younger brother, Paul and I, and I hit a bad tee shot and I immediately slammed the club into the ground. In fact, it was, it was, it was my follow through. I made contact all the way to the top of my swing and then wham the club came down on the ground. And my dad said if you ever do that again, you're never you're 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 going in. Well, I did it again a couple holes later. Oh man. And my dad took my clubs. He made me walk in and he said, "We'll see you at the car." He didn't say in the car. He said at the car. So he didn't give me the keys. So I sat I sat on the cold hard asphalt of the of the parking lot. And I thought about it. My dad said, you have, if you're going to play this game, you have to be a gentleman. And I think that really, it really hit me hard because now when I play, I, I feel that I'm pretty fortunate to be able to do what I do. And, and when I get out on tour, I always tell myself, and I tell anybody else that gets mad, I say, look, you choose to do this. You choose to be here right now. You choose to have this five footer to win or this opportunity to make par to make the cut or to whatever whatever level you may be, you choose to do it if you don't if you don't like it and you're all pissed off, don't do it quit yeah. just just stop doing this so that that was a real turning point for me from my dad.
1: That's really cool. That's a great lesson. It's something we can all learn from your dad. I think the hot temper carries over far too often, from shot to shot, hole to hole. You got to let it go and and have that even keel. Well, I I love touching on all this Portland golf, and I know as somebody who grew up here and you know has lived here my entire life and golfed here my entire life, one of the some of the fondest memories I have we're growing up going to the Fred Meyer challenge, Peter's party and, and with my dad and, you know, with my grandfather, how, how did that come about? You know, the, the workings behind that and just, you know, fill us in on, on something that I know is a fond memory for so many people in the game of golf around here.
3: We were trying to put a tournament in Portland, a PGA tour event, and there was no room on the, on the calendar. There was a tournament every week around the country. So we, we came up with the idea to shoehorn it in on a Monday and a Tuesday. And we ended up, our first tournament, we did a pro-am in Bend and a pro-am in Astoria. We chartered a plane to go from, from the beach to Bend, then back to Portland. And we started with eight players. We just wanted to see if we could get this off the ground. And first person we started with was Arnold Palmer, because he's the, he was the Pied Piper. And once Arnold was in, we knew we could attract a great crowd and we had oh Greg Norman, Curtis Strange, Lee Trevino, Tom Watson, Fred Couples. We had a we had a really wonderful group of guys, all household names, Hall of Fame players, and it grew into 24 players, a very unique event, and I think it's probably one of the most unique events mm-hmm. that's ever been played that wasn't a PGA Tour event. We all know about these tour events that go from Wednesday to Sunday. There's World Golf Championships and Majors, and specialty events like the Shark Shootout and things like that. But events like the Fred Mark Challenge uh, really, really set the tone for these specialty tournaments. But now, as the money has grown and players are demanding a lot of money to play golf, I don't think you're ever going to see a tournament like the Fred Mark Challenge happen ever again. So. Whenever people bring it up, like you do, and I appreciate you doing it because it brings back wonderful memories. We raised a ton of money for children's charities. I think we raised something like maybe 15 million bucks in 17, 18 years. So it was a. Is a really special time.
2: Why do you, th- Peter? Why do you think that that tournament was so appealing to such an incredible group of professional golfers? I mean, obviously, you getting so behind it meant a lot. But was do you think there was something about the venue or the concept that you think players really bought into?
3: One of the things the players all do all all the players have events in their communities, and whether it's Craig Sadler or Arnold Palmer or Jack Nicklaus or Lee Trevino, Tom Watson, everybody does an event in their hometown. So I would go play in their events. They would come to play in my events. So it really boils down to your relationship with the players, each, each player. And most recently, Jim Furyk, who is a good friend of mine, he had his event in Jacksonville. And a lot of us, including me, we would go up to Jacksonville and play in his event and then conversely he would come and do things for me so it it's basically a relationship based thing yeah. that benefits the cities and the communities and who's the big winner the charities yeah. and the, and the golf fans in those communities uh what scares me now is the fact that we don't see uh enough tournaments in the in the smaller communities a lot of the tour events we know are in Columbus and they're in Palm Beach and Dallas but we don't see we don't see tour events in small market towns anymore and that's why I think those specialty events like Fred Meyer Challenge are so important
1: well, I still have a Fred Meyer Challenge visor autographed by Peter Jacobson <laughs> hanging in my man cave. So I want to let you know that's still up there. It's still on the wall, oh, and every amazing. time I'm watching golf, it's it's right there. And on that note, I mean, you mentioned not having it in the schedule for a tournament on the PGA Tour in Portland, and it was so great to have the Fred Meyer Challenge here for so many years. One of the things we wanted to ask you about as we were getting ready for this was if you thought a PGA Tour event would ever return here. And then we get the news recently that, the, the, what is it? The live tour is coming and, and they're going to be playing at pumpkin Ridge. So I, I guess a two-parter for you, Peter, I'm just curious your thoughts on the future of golf in this area. And then your reaction to the news that there is another tour
3: coming and, and they're playing at a course here in the Portland area. Interesting that the, uh, the PGA tour, um, for example, let's say a major like a U S open that like they had at chambers Bay. I would love to see that come to Portland. And I think it could come, to Pumpkin Ridge, I think Pumpkin Ridge could could host a U.S. Open. One of the things about a major like a U.S. Open, I always say it's it, 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 the, it, the essentials. I call them the three P's, people, parking and profit. That's what you need when you're going to host a major. And I think you could you could basically handle all three out of Pumpkin Ridge. But a PGA Tour event right now in Portland, not not uh, until the politics change, not until we we don't we don't see companies and corporations bailing out of downtown because of all what's going on down there. Mm -hmm. Uh, The political climate just probably wouldn't support a PGA Tour event. Now, regarding the live live tournament, Norman's tournament, I I just don't think that's going to happen. I don't think it's going to it's going to come off. I think the only guys that would be playing would be us, us three. Yeah. And you guys would have <laughs> to sign me up. You'd have to give me two, you'd have to give me two or three shots aside. <laughs> uh, I, I know, I know it's scheduled. Um, I'm, I'm, I just don't, I just don't see it happening because I don't uh, listen. The three of us could start a tournament tomorrow, but, but we need players yeah. uh, and we need a television partner for it to make, for it to make sense and they didn't announce either of those. There's no players, and there's no TV partner. Now, unless they just want to throw millions of dollars around, which sounds like they want to do, uh then then maybe you guys should sign up and request yeah. an exemption <laughs> so then
2: i we i totally agree and dirt and i talked about this before we came on and i i think we're both totally in agreement with you it kind of still seems like a lot of smoke and mirrors at this point i i agree with your comments as well about pumpkin ridge being a great venue for a major championship do you think that we could ever expect or at least hold on to hope that that could happen? I mean, it doesn't even have to be the U.S. Open, but maybe there's – is there a a place for a PGA Tour event to fit in there? I know it's really competitive to find a spot, but Pumpkin Ridge just seems like it's right there for the taking.
3: Oh, I I couldn't agree more. I think that the opportunity will be in the future, but again, probably more than five, maybe within 15 years. I know that's a long time off for an old guy like me, but – I do think, as you know, things, things change. Things come, things go. And right now in the political climate up there in Portland, um, I just don't think that the table is set for anything like that. But things change. And I think Pumpkin Ridge would be an awesome site for it. And I think the USGA is always looking for great golf courses and great venues and great cities. And let me reiterate, Portland is a great city. It's our town. I grew up there. I love it. And I would be the first guy in line to, to go to bat for Pumpkin in Portland for a major championship or a PGA Tour event.
1: Yeah. Well, speaking of local courses, Peter, I know one of the courses that I play the most in this area is Stone Creek. And I know when you walk into Stone Creek, the first thing you recognize and realize it's a Peter Jacobson design. And I I wanted to pick your brain on that and just kind of what went into to that design, how much you remember. And then w- did somebody piss you off when you designed 12 through 15? Because th- those four holes just eat me alive every time I play there.
3: No, I think you have to blame your, your golf teacher, whoever your golf instructor is. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> uh, no, it was, a, it was a wonderful collaboration between the private group that Jim Pippen, a good buddy of mine in town, and I put together with Clackamas County. We had a great collaboration. Clackamas County had the land. We brought the money. And uh, Jim Hardy, my design partner, and I, we designed it. And we didn't want to move a lot of dirt. We didn't want to spend a lot of money simply because we wanted to control our costs at the front end so we didn't have to pass it off to the, to the consumer or the golfer on the back end. So when we, I, I find that holes like 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, they can be a challenge because there's elevation change, mm-hmm. as you know. Mm-hmm. I love 12. I think that's a cool hole. I love 13, 14, the original hole across the wetlands to the to the green on the other side, which is about one hundred and forty yards, and then fifteen again, down and up through the trees. yeah We didn't, we didn't want to blow it up and take out trees because some of the trees that we did clear, they had rings uh, on the stumps, looked like they were they were one hundred and fifty to two hundred years old, so it, it broke our heart every time we had to cut down one of those trees. So we took a minimum of trees out just enough to be able to have a really fun, playable golf course. But stone Creek was a labor of love. I I still get out there whenever I get to Portland and, and uh, I'm really happy to hear you guys like it. Just,
2: just I want to just say, Peter, that I, Dirt and I agree on a lot of stuff. I do not agree that those holes are any harder than they should be, okay? <laughs> that course was built, right, to challenge players. It was not meant to embarrass them or make them mad.
3: So I put that all on Dirt.
1: It's all in my head. It's Jeez. all in my head. I know a double bogey's coming and then no, a double just, bogey comes.
3: <laughs> let me just say this, that when we design a golf course, we don't put anything in front of the golfer. There's no bunkers in the middle of the fairway. There's no bunkers in front of the greens. We try not to challenge the golfer with a forced carry. Now, I can't help it if, if the good Lord puts a water hazard that you've got to <laughs> carry, but we always, we, we, we never try to penalize straight. Straight works like that. That's
1: a good uh, philosophy for my golf game. I got to work on that. I need to work on that too. <laughs> Peter, if
2: I could just ask you, I know you mentioned you try to get out to Stone Creek when you're in town. I, I was just curious if you play much golf in Portland anymore. And if, if so, what are some of the, the more recent rounds you've played
3: out here? I don't really play that much golf when I get to Portland much anymore because we live here in Florida. We've got, I've got my oldest daughter, Amy. She lives in Portland with, with two, two grandsons. Uh, I have a middle daughter, Kristen, who lives in New York, and she has a a, a a son and a daughter, and we have a son who lives in Ohio. So you can tell uh, our kids didn't like being with us, so they got as far away f- as possible from us. We live in Florida, and they're in all different <laughs> points of the country. So so we just, we make their lives hell. We travel to see them. But we, uh, when we get to Oregon, we basically I come to a lot of football games. I will go play with my brother, David and my, and his son, Matthew, Matthew, who is a, who played at Oregon uh, and is, is an excellent player. They're both scratch handicappers. We don't play much golf. We'll, we'll practice. We'll hit balls. Mm-hmm. We will work on our short game, but uh, I don't just don't, I don't play that much golf when I come to town, but I will play Waverly. I might go out and play stone Creek or, Head down, head down to Eugene. We we do get up to talk tea every once in a while, but between that and being a grandpa, it's uh it takes up a lot of time.
2: Maybe next time you play Stone Creek, call Dirt and you can show him how to play those yeah, holes. Give so we can just put okay. Yeah, give me
1: the blueprint, Iron off the tee. Are we hitting iron off I- the tee I- here? What are we doing, Peter? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no. This is for you on some of those tight holes. It's an eight iron, okay. eight iron, eight iron. I like that. Okay, two putt. There you go. You're out of there with a bogey. All right. Uh, well, I mean, I we can't have we can't talk to you, Peter, about bringing up you know the Hollywood stuff and the appearances that you made. I was I was uh, perusing around the other night looking for a golf movie to watch and racking my brain of you know what do I want to watch again? What haven't I seen in a while? And there it was. Showed up on the old Rolodex. Tin Cup popped up. And I I you know, there you come up at the end, you win the tournament at the end. So I I gotta ask how you know, how did that come about and what was that experience like for you?
3: Well, that was actually the second golf movie I've ever been in. The first golf movie. You guys now might not be aware of this, but Dan Jenkins wrote a gate, great golf book called Dead Solid Perfect. Heard and of it. If you it, didn't yeah. read it, you should pick you should pick it up. And okay. I was in the movie with Randy Quaid. Wow. Randy Quaid played him, him, uh, whatever his character was, and I played myself down at the Colonial, and uh, it was so much fun to get out on the golf course at Colonial, in Fort Worth, and just play some holes with Randy. And then I did, we didn't, I didn't have any lines, uh, so. It, it, but it's doing a movie is all hurry up and wait, as they move cameras and they move the extras and they move everything, and then when we did Tin Cup, same thing, they were looking for tour players. Ron Shelton was looking for guys that could make it look authentic. So there were so many tour players in there. I think we had Couples, we had Stadler, uh, Jerry Pate, Corey Pavin, Litsky, Tommy Armour, John Cook, Lee Jansen. There were so many guys that went down because we we just thought it would be fun to be in a movie with Kevin Costner and Don Johnson, Mm -hmm. and it was. They were fantastic to us, and the, the director, Ron Shelton, always said, we were like his creative consultants, along with Gary McCord, who taught Costner how to swing and hit the shots. But they would say, how would you do this if you were going to go to the range and prepare for the first round? What would you do on the putting green? What would you do in the clubhouse? So we all were like technical advisors, just kind of in our way through these, so cool. these shoot days. And, and, and the other thing, the, how I ended up winning the U.S. Open it, there was there was nothing nothing technical about it. He asked a group of us at lunch, "Hey, who can be here on June ninth?" And everybody pulled their calendars out, and I was the only one to raise my hand. And they said, "Okay, Peter, you're going to win the US Open."
2: <laughs> That's so good. It's such a classic. I mean, I, if you lined up a, a group of guys and asked for the, the their favorite golf me, I think a lot of them would say it's Tin yeah. Cup, and it's near and dear to my heart because. John Norville, who wrote the screenplay for that, um, is an old friend of my dad's, grew up in East Moreland. And I think that a lot of the inspiration for that original screenplay from John came from the fairways of East Morland Golf Course. And I'd have to confirm that with John, but I would imagine that some of the inspiration for that did. And I just think that's so cool that a movie like that in a way ties back to Portland and certainly your involvement just furthers that. So that movie is, is always going to be my favorite golf movie. I know dirt. It's up there for you as well.
3: Absolutely. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I well, love I, the you're, you're right. I, I don't mean it. I don't mean to interrupt you, but you're right. John Norville, who's a friend of mine. I know John as well. You are right. He did have a lot of inspiration from the days growing up in Portland, playing East Moreland, playing all the golf courses that we were talking about. In the city of in the city of Portland, into the great state of Oregon. So yeah, John. When we were on set, we talked a lot about that, and believe me, it was a labor of love. We laughed a lot. We laughed at all the bad shots we saw Costner hit because Costner was not a golfer. McCord did a great job of turning him into a golfer, but there were a few errant tee shots and a few errant balls <laughs> that called for for take. Take five, take eight, take nine, but it was, uh, yeah, John, John did a great job writing the script and Ron did a wonderful job directing. I,
2: I mean, this is amazing. I feel like we could have, we, this whole interview could be about your Hollywood connection. And I, I mean, we learned something about Randy Quaid and the connection there. So much fun. I have to ask you about John, sorry, what's his last name? Jack Lemon. Jack Lemon. Okay. I mean, we know him as the actor from, what was he in? um, Grumpy old old man, man. right? Yeah. But he was your partner, right, Peter, in in the tournament at Pebble Beach for a a long time. And I just would love to hear whether it's your favorite Jack Lemmon story or just some of your memories from playing in that tournament with him.
3: So many many memories from the AT&T, which is my favorite tournament at Pebble Beach because my family, we used to drive down at spring break when I was in high school we drive down, and we would play all week long at Pebble Beach and Spyglass oh, wow. and, and Monterey Peninsula and Old Del Monte. Because all, all six of us, we, we were golfers. We were, all the Jacobsons were mad golfers. So when I played at the at and I qualified my first PJ Tour event. I played a couple of years, and then I got a call. Believe it or not, I got a call at home. in My wife and had a condo in Lake Oswego, and it was Jack Lemon. Now, Jack Lemmon, for people that don't know Jack Lemmon, he comes from the, the Clint Eastwood era, the George C. Scott era. He was, he was the, the, one of the greatest actors uh, in the history of, of Hollywood, and certainly at that time, he was, he was one of those guys that could make you laugh and make you cry. He won Academy Awards for, for making you laugh and making you cry. Uh, so it was an honor for me to partner with him for 20 years and we had more fun we never made the cut i heard that To play never, on the weekend never yeah. well, now, you you won now, the tournament right so you
2: it, you missed the cut in the pro am but won the tournament
3: <laughs> yeah let me put it in context there's 160 teams that start and only 25 make it to the weekend so it's okay, a it's, okay. it's it's a high bar you got to play well but you just mentioned the real clincher I was winning the tournament. I went on to win the tournament, and our team didn't make the cut, which gives you an idea of how crappy Jack Lemon was at golf.
2: Even with handicaps in play, right? right. I mean, it's so it's like he he can goose his handicap all he wants, oh. and it still didn't matter.
3: Yeah, they they always tried to goose his handicap, but but he wouldn't let him. He wanted to make the cut fair and square, and. But I will tell you guys this, the two, the two most influential people in my golf life were Arnold Palmer and Jack Lemmon. Because Jack Lemmon was this world-famous actor, uh, Academy Award-winning actor. And when we played golf and when we had lunch or we had dinner and we hung out together, whether it was in his home in L.A. where my wife and I went and stayed with him or at Pebble Beach, he treated everybody the same as he always said, kindness costs you nothing. And everybody, everybody that comes up to you is, is proud of who they are in their life. Treat them with kindness and treat them with respect. And I've never forgotten that. So, uh, whatever Jack Lemon lacked with being able to make birdies and bogeys and triple bogeys, he made up for in the human being category. He was a he he was a man of high character. That
1: is so cool. And there's a famous picture, and I I can't remember who's swinging, but I believe it might have been Jack, and I think Clint Eastwood is holding him up from falling over a cliff at Pebble. You're holding Clint, and then I believe it's Greg Norman that's holding you. And it, I think they put it back on like a cover photo in like 2018 when they were put, you know, <laughs> you know, showcasing that the the, the AT and T was coming up. Do, do you remember that picture?
3: Oh, my gosh. That's called the human chain. That happened at Cypress Point. It was, it was right. It was Norman and Eastwood, his partners in Lemon and I, were playing the famous 16th, the par three, and Jack didn't quite clear the ledge, and his <laughs> ball was hanging in the ice plant over the cliff. And we walked past it and just said, leave it there. It's too dangerous. And Clint Eastwood, in his best Dirty Harry, he turned and said, you got to play that son of a gun. So we grabbed the wedge and he walked over and he's literally, as he's, as he's addressing the ball, he's looking straight down the cliff to the rocks below on the, at the Pacific ocean. And it, it was, it was, it was terrifying. Quite honestly, I'm not making a joke. Yeah. And he grabs Jack's backside. I grabbed Clint and Norman grabs me. And, and and Lemon hit the ball out, and man, that made, that, that was the show yeah. for CBS, and they did turn that into a, a poster a few years ago, and I've, actually got that poster signed on my on oh, my cool. office wall down here in Florida. It's
2: pretty cool. That's incredible. You know, my next question, Peter, was going to be, what's your best impression? You, you're so great at impressions and and the Hollywood effect, but I think you just gave it to us with Clint Eastwood talking about hitting it out that of the ice good. plant.
3: That was good. Do,
2: do you have any others that are tucked <laughs> away that you want to share?
3: <laughs> no. I think the best one I ever did was, Craig Stadler got the biggest laugh because I had to pour a bunch of golf balls down my shirt to 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 expand my belly. Uh, (laughs) But I think the one everybody loved the most was Arnold because everybody loved Arnold. Arnold was the iconic golfer that everybody loved. uh, Everybody could relate to. Uh, So those two were always the ones that probably got the most attention and the biggest laughs (laughs)
1: well you're always a big character on on tour i know i was uh, watching during the the rain delays this weekend at at the players when they were trying to figure out when they were going to start they were revisiting some of the longer rain delays in the history of the tour and there was one and i'm sure you remember the course but it's you know Faraday interviewing tiger and he's sitting there and you're standing in the background you know trying to distract him and dancing around so you you always seem to be a good character behind the scenes (laughs)
3: Well, the one thing that we know about golf is golf is called a game, and games are supposed to be fun. If they weren't fun, it'd be called work. So (laughs) uh, you guys are working tonight, but hopefully you're having fun with this uh, with this uh, conversation. And I remember Faraday Faraday's crazy. I love David. He's a he's a hilarious (laughs) figure, and so is Tiger. Tiger loves to cut up uh, and have some fun too. And I remember that was the locker room. Uh, at Columbus, Ohio, at the Memorial Tournament. And it was a rain delay, and Faraday was working for CBS, and he was going around doing all these interviews. And obviously, Tiger's the brightest light in that locker room. So I was right there down camera, so I decided to make an ass of myself (laughs) and jump up like we see like we see golf, uh, we see fans in the background. Hey, dude, I'm number one. I'm number one. <laughs> it was great.
1: I love that. All right, well, we we want to close these on the podcast, Peter, with kind of a, a segment we're going to call the driver off the deck. And so, uh, just a, kind of a lightning round of questions, and you know, some things, final things we're curious to peek you on. Uh, your most memorable victory, you, you, both as an amateur and as a pro.
3: Probably my most memorable victory as an amateur was my very last amateur event. It was the Oregon Open. I won my last tournament as an amateur at the Oregon Open at Corvallis Country Club in 76. And then the next week I turned pro and I went down to Northern Kyle Lake Shastina and won the Northern Kyle Open. So I won back-to-back weeks. Wow. My last is an amateur and my first is a pro. That's incredible. I wow. I won. I won, remember I won $3,500. And I was right then ready to retire by a chair, and move and live on the beach in Florida. 3,500 bucks.
1: The, the, the purses have changed just a hair, I oh, think, man. since then after this last weekend. Just a bit. Yeah.
2: Peter, if you had one round to play, where would you play it and with whom?
3: Oh, it would definitely be at Pebble Beach. It would, it would, I would go back to the days because to me, golf is family. Pebble Beach is family. I'd go back and play. It would be a crowded. It'd be a six-some. Okay. But I would play with my my late mom and dad and my late younger brother, Paul, and my brother, David, and sister, Susan. So it would be – we'd have to get a special ruling, but it would be uh, a six-some of my family at Pebble. I love
1: that. Yeah, nothing better than the the golf rounds with your family over the years. Uh, What is your favorite golf course in Portland?
3: Oh, my gosh. Uh, Stone Creek. We just talked about it because – not just because I designed it, but because it's it was like i said it was a labor of love i just i just i loved the way the golf course came together and again we didn't do anything the, the the most important thing as an architect is to not ruin the land that God laid out for you, so we tried to maneuver our way through the golf course and not disturb it. Uh, much at all. So I've got to say Stone Creek.
2: The other thing I love about Stone Creek is that how accessible it is. It's not terribly expensive. It's not terribly far away from Portland. I think it's a favorite amongst a lot of people around Portland. Peter, what about your, what about your favorite hole in Portland? Like if you were to just close your eyes right now and just picture the best hole, if you could play any hole in Portland, which hole would that be?
3: Oh, that's a great question. Um, I would probably say seventeen. Well, yeah, I'd say 17 at Waverly, simply because it can play as a par four or a par five, and it's got that huge green, double decker green, uh, and it's probably—I don't know how long it is. How it's like like 60 60 yards in length. Yeah, yeah. So I love the versatility again as a player and as an architect. I love the versatility that it can play as a really hard par four. Or an easy four, or a hard five, or an easy five. So I would say because of the versatility, seventeen at waverly. Yeah, okay. Great. That's, a good, 16 that's a good one. There's no slouch there either. No, right?
1: no. Yeah. Sixteen and eighteen are tough there too. What what is more likely to happen? Last one for you, Peter. More likely to happen. Portland hosts a PGA tour event or Tiger Woods wins another major.
3: Tiger Woods wins another major. There we okay. go. <laughs> I told you, Dirt. I, I did I did the uh I did the I did the T V at the PNC championship last December when Tiger played with his son, Charlie, and nobody knew what to expect. Nobody knew. Just like when he came back and played at his tournament, the Hero World Challenge at the Bahamas again, oh, three, four years ago, nobody knew what to expect. And at the PNC, yes, he was playing alternate shot with his son, or I should say scramble, and yes, he was riding a cart, but his swing speed was up, his distance was there, he really wasn't lacking anything but repetition. He, he just needed some reps to be able to play and to be able to get out. I was so impressed with the way that he played, obviously there because of the love of his son, and his mm-hmm. son Charlie's a darn good player himself. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say Tiger wins another major.
1: Okay. He had to look. It was so fun watching you broadcast that. And probably I'd, I know for me, it brings back memories of playing with my dad. That was kind of the fun, the fun aspect of not only watching him and his son, but that entire tournament. But Peter, we, we can't thank you enough. You know, as a couple of guys who grew up in Portland and and love the game of golf, you have always been a, a legend in this city and somebody that has made us proud to be people from Portland and to love the game of golf. And so we can't thank you enough. Uh, continued success in your broadcasting career. And when you're out here next time, I'm going to invite you out to Stone Creek and you're going to give me the blueprint for 11 through 15, okay?
3: (laughs) Eight iron, eight iron, eight iron.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much, Peter. We appreciate
3: it. Thanks, guys. You got it. All the best.
1: That was so cool, and now I know, dude, I, I'm hitting 8-iron, eight 8-iron, eight 8-iron eight off the 15th tee. I'll believe it when I see
2: it. I don't think <laughs> you actually will. You're just saying that you will.
1: I'm just trying to make Peter happy. So, <laughs> I, that was, I mean, he, he's such a gracious guy. We're, we're going to climb up in the trees at East Moreland and protect the course when they try it's and tear it down. It's not going anywhere. Come on. <laughs> but we will do that. <laughs> we will. If it comes to it, we will do it. So, let, let's set this up. Uh, from Peter Jacobson to our mystery guest. So, you you texted me randomly the other day, you're like, dude, I got an idea for pod. I'm like, okay, I'm all ears. Let's hear it out. And then you told me the backstory. This is incredible. So set this up and uh, we'll we'll get to our mystery guest here in a moment. Sounds
2: good. So to introduce our next guest, I wanted to share a quick personal story that is part Portland Trailblazers and part golf in Portland. And so a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I got to go to the Blazer game. It was on a Friday night against the Rockets. And, you know, we're in full-on <laughs> tank mode. And It's, it's a horrible I, problem. I'm right a now. diehard Blazer fan. I know you are as well. But it's still fun to go to a Blazer game on a Friday uh, night, right? Of course. But we have two kids, one of whom is three months old, so it's kind of hard to get out of the house on time. <laughs> I which imagine. Which doesn't really matter as much for, like, a dinner reservation, because you can show up 20 minutes late, not a big deal. But the Blazer game starts at 7 <laughs> o'clock, right? And so we were running late and by the time we actually get inside the motor center i think there was like a minute left in the first quarter so we get our beers, we make our way to our seats. Always the first step. You got to
1: get your beers yeah, first, go totally. then go to the seats.
2: So as we're walking to our seats, I noticed that, and they're right on the aisle, I noticed that there's a couple sitting in our seats. Like,
1: oh, hell no. Yeah.
2: So, I mean, not a big deal. That stuff happens, right? You okay. go up and talk to them and they're like, oh, shoot, sorry, we're in the wrong section.
1: I think it's like the airplane mode where it's like, if nobody, I'm going to take this seat until somebody comes and tells me to move, like hoping nobody's going to sit here exactly. and then you show up at the end of the quarter.
2: So. So basically what happens is we get to our seats and before we can even like talk to these people, there's an usher lady in the aisle and she just says to me, she says, Oh my gosh, did you see what happened? And I was like, no. And she's like this guy. And she points to the guy in our seat and he's sitting with his wife. He just made a full court putt and he won 50 grand. And I'm like, what?
1: This guy what? right like, here. I have no awareness what of this.
2: Like, we didn't, we didn't notice anything. <laughs> we didn't hear the cheers. Or anything. We got there too late. So, like, then it's kind of awkward because. I'm like, that's amazing that that happened. And I'm pissed that I missed it. But now it's like, so are you going to help us like tell them to sit somewhere else? And it was kind of awkward because they're on cloud nine. And here we are like telling them that they got to move.
1: That guy's sitting there with a $50,000 check in his pocket. Seriously. So
2: um, so I'm kind of trying to collect my thoughts of like what what's going on here. And the seats next to us are open. So I was like, well, why don't you guys just slide down two seats and we'll just sit together, right? So there, of course, we're like, yeah, no problem. Let's do that. That works. So we sit down, we introduce ourselves. His name is David, his wife's name is Chelsea. Lovely people, super nice. And of course, I start asking David <laughs> questions about what just happened. Like, what are you going to do with the money? Like, did you get to bring your own putter? Like, um That's a good question. Yeah. Like, I I don't know. I'm looking forward to asking him. <laughs> well, yeah, that. we'll have him on in but, a moment. And then, you know, like I, I wanted to know, like, what do you think the uh, an NBA court would stimp out at on this? stimp meter? <laughs> you know, just kind of having the fun with U.S. Open it.
1: speed? What so, are we talking about?
2: we are sitting there with them for the course of the game. And as we're talking to him, like, the light bulb goes on in my head of, like, we got to have this guy on he's the gotta be CD on. pod.
1: He's got to be on.
2: So I tell him about the podcast, like, ask him if he'd be interested in talking with me. I have no idea. But, of course, he says yes. And here we are and i thought it'd be fun to bring him on kind of uh, tell his story about what happened because it was incredible what happened we missed it of course it was all over social media <laughs>
1: it was all over the place yeah
2: so it was a it was a crazy um, thing that happened where they probably wouldn't have been sitting there or next to us if we had arrived at the game on time <laughs> so i went from like being upset that we were late to the elation and confusion of like what just happened and we missed it to then sitting down and talking with him about golf and kind yeah, of yeah. He, like where he's from and stuff like that so that is um, so Really, awesome. really excited to chat with him.
1: That is so, and I've heard from Blazer fans, or not uh, like Blazer employees, they've done that challenge for years, and it's the first time anybody's ever made one. So the
2: usher lady told me that. She said that, she's like, you know, I've been working here a long time. I've seen people make half-court shots. I've seen of people course, yeah. win some of the contests, but I've never seen somebody make that putt. I mean, that
1: is it. next to impossible. A full length, I do not even know, know how many feet that is. 94 a, feet. 94, a 94-footer. 94 And through the like, (laughs) it's through the clown's mouth. Like the opening (laughs) is really small. (laughs) All right, so we've been we've been texting back and forth about having him on. We've been calling him Blazer Guy. So let's let's get to Blazer Guy and hear his story about making a ninety-four foot putt. David Dalla Gasparina, Uh, David. First off, congratulations on making the putt. Like. I, I need to start with, did you know, like, did they randomly pick you out of the crowd? Did you know you were going to be doing that? Like, how did this all come about, you being on the floor and making a, uh, you know, length of the court putt? You know,
0: uh, I actually, I signed up for the contest online back in October. Uh, I actually signed up for all the Blazer contests. I just oh. happened to get uh, picked for this one. I actually aggressively enter contests. It's <laughs> kind of like something I do. Um <laughs> I, I'm always trying to win. So I've won a couple of other things. This is by far the best thing I've won. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, they called five people, actually, before me, and no one picked up their phone. And then they called another what? person, and that person hung up on them. So some lady <laughs> hung up on them. Thought it was like a joke, I guess. Um, and so then they called me, and they said, you know, 24-hour notice to do it, and, you know, I, I, I was there for it.
2: And then so they call you, you answer, they say, David, you've been chosen you say yes. Do they then just give you tickets to the game and say, "Hey, meet us down here," like that midway through the first quarter? Or how did the the progression go once you were there?
0: Yeah, I. Uh, so I'm actually a half season ticket holder um, uh, with my cousin. We, we we split a package, but uh, I didn't have tickets to this game. So they gave uh, my wife and I uh, some tickets uh, in the first section. Um, or sorry, first level uh we had to meet there at 5:30 sign a whole bunch of paperwork i had a whole bunch of questions uh you know i, I wanted to see if i could use my own putter uh I wanted to see if i could touch the ball yeah. um you know and then i had to you know sign all the rights to my image and all that <laughs> stuff away and the agreements of if i won how i'd get the money and stuff like that and uh yeah just mentally preparing
1: that is so so did you get to use your own putter
0: I didn't they wouldn't let me oh, no what? which, uh you know blessing in disguise yeah
2: i, I mean, wish you... that i wish that you would have been out loud and you brought it and you walk into the game like and like scan your ticket and you're carrying a putter and the, <laughs> the people at the metal detectors are like with the cover on it in. too he's down there on the court <laughs> taking
1: the cover off of his so what kind of putter did you get to use
0: uh you know what so if, I think it was a ping putter I honestly okay. can't remember i mean I remember looking at it and you know just check the toe on it and just try to make sure you know practice him with it a little bit but I mean, I was focused on, you know, it, it is what it is. It didn't matter what putter it was. I had to, had to make it happen. You so know. So
2: then perfect segue <laughs> to my next question of like, so you're standing over the putt, you're ready to go. Like what, what's going through your mind? Did you have a thought about like what you were going to try to do or try not to do?
0: Oh, absolutely, yeah. I, I mean, my thought was, you know, one, I'm you know, I wanted to make sure I could line the ball up. I actually had a long conversation with the, the organizers of the competition to, if I could touch the ball. You know, it's like I wanted to be able to line it up and make sure that the, yeah, and they were 50-50 on it and decided to let me do it. Um, So couldn't use my own putter, but could touch the ball. So this is kind of, you know. They also said I was the most uh, aggressive person to ever take this (laughs) and probably took it, you know, took it seriously. But, you know, you got to take the financial opportunity, right? So um, so I'm out there, and, uh, you know, my thought was just if I can hit it 10 feet straight, it will go 94 feet straight because you know it's a hardwood basketball court or, you know nba regulation i didn't think there was going to be any break so my thought was just focus on getting it 10 feet it's going to glide i mean it's a you know there's no it won't slow down it's not like yeah. my, th- my thought my thought was just if i can line it up and if i can hit it 10 feet there's there's a shot um so that, that was that was my strategy and uh you know just use everything I've learned in putting. dude.
1: I, this is the coolest story I've ever heard. How seriously you took this challenge that they even fought you on lining up the putt. Like, how are you supposed to make a court the, the putt the length of the court without at least getting an arrow pointing in the right direction right now? I got to ask, like on this note, you clearly understand what you're doing here, how to line up a putt, you know, the the pacing of it and starting it on the right line. Are you Do you golf a lot? Are you, are you, are you a stick? Is this uh, something you don't do often? What's your golf game like?
0: you know it, it, extremely funny. I started taking golf lessons in November at this place called infinity golf uh over by my house shout out to a c coleman uh, golf with a c he's my golf instructor I love uh, it. I, I, was was terrible before like couldn't you didn't even have a swing you know like <laughs> one of those guys who probably played like maybe once a year twice a year and or top golf you know with his friends but you know. Right but i i took one lesson in november kind of fell in love with it uh, i'm i'm about 25 lessons in now and uh you know i've played out outdoors a lot done a lot of simulator training and i i just you know it definitely helped you know i wouldn't have i wouldn't have approached the putt anywhere near what i would have done had I had not been taking those lessons, so it really was just kind of a perfect storm.
2: It was like it was preparing you for this moment. It I mean, totally it's was. like the stars aligned. So, David, <laughs> oh, tell, yeah. tell me, tell me about the, so the putt goes through the clown's mouth, and the, like the opening for that thing for for people who haven't seen the video. He's basically putting at this like display of a house because it was presented by Directors Mortgage, right? That's that was right. the sponsor. Mm-hmm. And so the yeah. the quote unquote hole was like an opening, like a front door of a house. How do you remember how big that was and how how small that target probably looked when the ball was rolling?
0: It, so it, so it was three inches. They told me three uh, it was it, three inches 94 So a re- feet. so a
2: regulation cup is four inches and something. So it's smaller than an wow. actual cup.
0: Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, the the it, this is all great. the 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 problem with all of this is, I'm afraid people are going to think I'm good at golf. So anytime I actually step out on the course, uh, I'm gonna, you know, I, I gotta get in and take more lessons immediately. I kind of feel like because, uh, you know, I mean, I, I you know, I wanted to manifest it and I told myself I was going to make it and I wanted to prepare myself the best way I can. But you know, you never know until it happens, right? So, so, I, uh, so yeah.
2: the so the ball rolls in, the crowd yeah. goes nuts. people can see the video on social media if the internet hasn't broken because of this. But so, so that happens, David, and you're running around, like what's going through your mind in that moment?
0: Uh, You know, it's funny. I was preparing so much for the shot. Uh, You know, I, I uh, I, I'm a, I'm a meditator, uh, you know, and I'll, I, I've done a lot of performing in the past. I used to be, I used to do music, stuff like that. And so I was just trying to cut out the crowd, cut out, you know, the speech. if you notice in the video, I'm, I'm really am focused. Like I'm just trying to do the putt and like, everything out. And then as soon as I hit it, that all just kind of went away. And I was just like brought into this reality of what had happened uh, <laughs> and just completely unfiltered joy and adrenaline and shock and madness. That you is... know, I had yeah, no idea how I was going to react.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Man. That is so cool. Now, let's ask the million dollar question or I guess the, the fifty thousand dollar question. What, what are you going to do with the money? Like, do you have house projects? Are you buy, you know, buy a new set of golf clubs like what's on the what's on the docket for you for fifty K?
0: Yeah, you know, uh, I, I mean, I'm going to invest about a, a little over half of it. Uh, that's going to be the the big bulk of it. I Smart know that's man. a boring answer. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I uh, figured just do that. Um, I am going to, you know, I'm going to put uh, do some projects in my backyard. I am going to buy a new bag of uh, golf clubs. There we um, go. There we go. I'm going to, I'm mean, yeah, I'm going to uh, fix up my wife's car. Uh, you know, we're going to go to Italy. And Ooh. then after that, we'll probably, uh, that that'll probably be about it. But, you know. <laughs> I mean, definitely game-changing, yeah.
2: So when we were sitting next to you guys at the game, I, I asked you this question, and your wife, her name's Chelsea, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, so I asked David. I said, "What are you going to do with the money?" And Chelsea just jumps right in and says, "We're putting it all into our four hundred and one k." And I and so I was like, well, <laughs> and then David jumps in and says, "Well, uh, time out before on. we hold take on. care of a couple other things. <laughs> one of which being golf clubs." So that was that was like the moment for me where I was like, "Okay, this guy is into golf. I didn't even know it was to this extent." But um, that's when it would it hit me of like, "This is a golf guy. He's not just a contest blazer fan guy." So we got to have him on the pod. I love. Of the connection back to golf
0: yeah no i i, I mean it, it's a great game and uh I, i've just you know it's i it, i'm excited to play for a lot you know they say the lifelong game right and that's mm-hmm. you know I'm, I'm excited to hopefully get better and you know it, it does suck hitting the peak probably <laughs> uh, you know maybe four months in i you know even if i hit a hole in one someday like oh and not touching 50K. this okay no. yeah <laughs> so um but you know i'm excited to get better and then keep working absolutely
2: It'd be, it'd be funny if someone asked you if you had a hole in one and you say, no, I haven't, but I have made a 94 foot putt at a blazer game for 50 grand.
1: Not bad. You're like, going to be this. You're going to be the kind of guy, David, I guarantee you're going to show up to a golf tournament. One of those par threes with the car on the, you're like the kid in, in <laughs> Vegas vacation where Chevy Chase's kid kept winning the, the yep. jackpot lottery and winning the cars. I got a good feeling about this, man. You need to start entering tournaments because you're going to walk away with a couple of cars out of this deal.
0: You know, it, the funniest story about this is my uncle actually did hit a hole in one, par three, to win a car. No, no joke, way. that, that actually did family. happen.
3: Oh wow! Yeah, I know.
0: Yeah, uh, and you know the the another funny thing about it, I had one of my friends who's a golf pro. He was telling me, uh, you know, that I probably made you know more money than ninety nine percent of the people who attempted to make money off golf, <laughs> which I think is actually kind of a funny funny way to look at it. Cause you know, taking these lessons and you know, they're, you know, it's not cheap, you know, and I'm just like, Hey, you know, now no one can ever complain if I'm playing golf. That's the best part about it. You know, no one can ever be like, Hey, you know, you're spending too much money. I'd be like, I don't think so.
1: Yeah, It's a yeah. pretty good return on investment.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah ROI is amazing.
1: Yeah.
2: So let, let me ask you this. I was thinking about this driving in today. What if I want to run this hypothetical by you? What yeah. if the Blazers invited you back for a, a second putt for a million dollars. But if you miss it, you have to give the 50 grand back.
0: You know, it's so funny. I've actually gone through that scenario uh, and I probably would decline. I oh, probably would. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. So, that, so
2: that's like 20 to one odds, right? 50, like if you're thinking about the numbers on that. So the, the odds right. of making it are probably longer than one in 20. I,
0: You know, it, if it was... I mean, you know, maybe 5 or 10. I don't know. You know, here's sure. the thing. My, my my hope, my hope is that no one hits it again for a long and you know, I'm the first person to hit it at Moda Center and yeah. you know, like if you look up online there's about 4 people who've done it. Um my hope is that the Blazers just keep to continue to do it. And, uh, you know, five years comes down and no one's hit it again. And, and they just invite me back just, you know, because maybe, you know, we're tanking again or something and they need ratings <laughs> or whatever. That would be great. Let's bring
1: um, the putt guy back. We need the putt guy yeah, back in the building.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I definitely, you know, it's funny. I, I, I haven't even been to another basketball court, but I'd love to try it again just to see, you know. I think, I, you know, I think I could get close every time. I love. I don't, it. you know, I think I could get close.
1: I mean, with the amount of strategy and planning you put into this, I, I trust your abilities here. I think I think you were the golf, uh, the, 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 the master putter on a basketball court. And I, what an amazing story, man. I can't I can't even imagine what your phone has been like the last two weeks, because I obviously we're direct Blazer fans. So we saw it. But this thing was spread out like Zyre Golf and all these different Instagram accounts, that, you know, repurpose uh, media stuff. I mean, that thing was all over the place. Has anybody hit you up for money yet?
0: No one's hit me up for money, but okay, I, I did hear from everybody. And I, I don't think it's enough. It, you know, if it was like ten million dollars, maybe sure. someone would be like, "Hey, I'm starting a food cart," you know, or something like that.
1: But um, hey, we're starting a know. podcast. We're looking for a little, uh, a little funding. You know? <laughs> You're interested?
0: Yeah. Um, but no, I did hear from almost everybody I've ever met in my whole life, though. You know, uh, grade school acquaintances, former coworkers, uh, you know, uh, some. So many people. It, it's, uh, it's definitely been wild. Uh, and you know, yes, yeah, sports center top 10. I mean, that's like yeah. a bucket list. Dude. That's like, you know, every kid when you're little, you thought like, Oh man, one day I'm, and I was never like still not really an athlete. I'm going to, you know, be a hundred with you guys, but, um, <laughs> you know, I, I was just excited to happen. That's amazing. I We didn't yeah. even
2: ask you this, David. Are you from Portland originally?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I grew up in Southwest Portland. Uh, yeah, I went to central Catholic, um, I blazer fan my whole life, you know, been going to games. Uh, this is the first year I actually bought uh, any sort of season package, uh, you know, which for the longest time I thought was kind of a bad luck situation, but, um, <laughs> but, you know, it's turned out to be great. This, you know, one of my favorite blazer seasons ever. Um, so, yeah,
1: uh, it's hard to top this last one for you, David. This is probably the most important. Who do you want them to take with their, uh, with their two lottery picks?
0: Oh God. I don't know. I don't know. I, you know, and, and people are always disappointed when I tell them this because I do, I love the NBA. I don't follow college basketball that much, so I never have an opinion on the draft. Unless it's someone like, you know, like when Greg Oden and KD were there, sure, I was like, sure. you know, unless it gets down to that, I, you know, I'm not the guy to ask in the draft. I will say that uh, I do think clearing up the cap space was a great move. And I, I know we got rid of some pieces and, and maybe a pick that we weren't supposed to, but I mean, it. Some something, something had to change, right? I just hope we don't rerun the two guard scenario. I think we need to get a small forward or, um, you know, a, a power forward who's who's meaningful to the offense. Mm-hmm. I think that that w- that would be, yeah.
1: He's hitting 94 putts and he's breaking down the Blazers off season. I love it. What What more could you ask for? Well, dude, hey, congratulations, man. I I saw this. It was so cool. I couldn't believe that Eric ended up sitting next to you the entire game. Like the the chances of that happening are just absolutely wild. So congratulations on the putt, man. Have fun in Italy. Have fun hitting those yeah. new clubs when you get them. And and congrats, man. What a cool story.
0: Yay. Thank you guys for interviewing me. And uh, you know, I, I can't wait to listen back. And uh, hey, uh, subscribe to their show, guys.
1: All right. Let's get Let's get to the big question here. If I give you a putt on a 90. Four foot basketball court, how many how many chances is it taking you to make it? A hundred, maybe. Yeah.
2: Maybe. I I didn't realize that the opening was only three inches wide. It's smaller than
1: a hole. Yeah.
2: And with all those people there and you're putting on a basketball court for God's sake, like (laughs) that I mean, you know that they say the hardest putts to make are the ones that are dead straight, right? So imagine trying to make a dead straight putt at 94 feet on a basketball court. You know, you're just you're starting to run down the list of things that make it impossible and he just drained
1: it. Dude, I also I feel like the Blazers need to be called out for it too. If like if you want to make that challenging but doable get make it a half core putt yeah like a full length core putt the chances of that going in yeah. and he's smart because you asked him you know a million dollars but you got to give the 50 back if you don't make you don't try that again yeah. you don't go anywhere near them yeah. the chances of that going in again 94 feet where I like his strategy you started off on you know nine feet 10 feet straight and you feel like it's gonna stay straight but even then as you just pointed out how hard is it to hit a 10 foot putt directly straight directly where you want to yeah. hit it
2: yeah, I, I don't even know how you'd calculate the odds of him making that again. They're they're probably more like one in a thousand.
1: You go buy a lottery ticket, that's all yeah. I know. Well, that was awesome. This, the backstory on it, you sitting next to him at the game, That the chances of that happening are so cool. So thanks again to David for, for hopping on the pod. Well, we know it is uh, Masters Week, which is a big week in the golf world. You kind of view it as the official start of golf around Portland, I would yeah. say. Kind of, yeah, I
2: just feel like the... This, the season has finally started to change. You now You look yeah. out the window and the cherry blossoms are starting to bloom. It's here, and baby. And so it feels like the weather's turning in Portland, and then you obviously, that's the biggest golf tournament of the year. And so when those kind of combine, it just feels like, okay, I'm ready to go now. No more excuses, and I need to come out of hibernation.
1: <laughs> the time is now to get out and start golfing. So let's start with, we'll get to some picks. Eric's got a fun game we're going to play about Augusta. Before we do, we've both had the chance to go to Augusta National, and I get asked that all the time, like, how was it? But I don't think I've ever heard your story about going to Augusta so I'm curious your story and, and your thoughts about the, the year that you went
2: yeah so I've actually been three times well, um, get I, out of your way geez. you and I you and I were there the same year in 18 right? 2018 we yeah. missed Tiger by a year I know and I, I, I don't I, want to talk
1: about that I don't yeah I don't need so
2: anything. we were there on different days but same year in 2018 and the other two times I went was when I was at the Golf Channel I was there just as a media member on Wednesday um, which if anyone's ever been or thought about going, Wednesday is a really fun day to be there because it's a practice round. So you can um, get autographs and stuff and kind of mill around. It's more kind of a casual setting. You get first dibs at the merch, which if like I was there Sunday in 18 and it's like really picked over. Um, so you get first dibs at merch. Um, you can see the par three tournament, which is obviously really so fun. Cool. So, um, I thought it was really cool. To, to my first experience on the grounds was on a Wednesday. I
1: felt like I just soaked it all in. Um, not feeling like you have to get around to see every angle of golf, too, because that's the part of it when you go on a day of the tournament. It's like, I don't want to miss anything, but you got you want to go to the pro shop. You want to see everything. So I could see that being on a Wednesday, just walk, just soaking all of the atmosphere well, and in. Yeah,
2: like, and so when you're there on Sunday, you're not watching it on TV. And so th- th- that was like the only master's level of, of like my – my golfing life that I haven't watched Sunday, right? Because I was there. And so you don't really know exactly what's going on. You hear the roars, you hear all the stories, but you don't have an opportunity to really move around. But on Wednesday, or I guess I should say, see what's going on all the time but on wednesday like you said you have a chance to move around walk all the holes do whatever you want really soak it in the like some of my biggest memories of being there on on any of those three was just how inexpensive all the food and beverages right it's crazy yeah like you can literally get like a full lunch and a beer for like 5 bucks And then you get those cool commemorative master's cups, which we probably all collect and take home with us. And I mean, just the whole thing is just so dialed. There's not a piece of trash on the ground. I remember at one point I saw a little teeny piece of trash on the ground. Like I saw it out of the corner of my eye, somebody had just dropped it. And within like five seconds, somebody had picked it up and (laughs) threw it in the trash. I mean it's like you you go to other Ugh. major tournaments or any like just golf mm-hmm. tournaments and they're they can there can kind of be a blue collar crowd and rowdy and there's just a diverse group of people there but everyone there are like well behaved they understand the game of golf they're aware of where they are and sort of that decorum that respect it's
1: truly one of a kind in that regard it's amazing It it really, I, I, you know, people ask me what it's like, and I always, it's just perfect. Like, I don't really know how else to explain it. It's just everything about it is perfect. The course is perfect. The conditions are perfect. The lands, I mean, it's just you're sitting there and the birds are chirping. You're walking around looking at holes that you've watched your entire life, and you just, you're pinching yourself the entire time. And on the crowd nature of it, like, there was part of me that because you're not allowed to take your cell phone in or at least you're not supposed to and you could get oh, it confiscated. No. So you don't want to risk that. It's like this hell is my no. once in a lifetime chance to go to the masters. I'm not going to risk getting kicked out. And I remember going in thinking that's stupid. Like I want to be able to take pictures and remember like but then when you're walking around the course, I was almost glad that I couldn't do it. So glad. Because I would have been taking pictures the entire time because I want oh here's Amen Corner, here's oh there goes Tiger walking by. I want to take a picture of him. Yeah. But instead, you're just there in in the moment yeah. and watching guys walk through like you're just you're Totally immersed in what you're seeing,
2: and and how many things do you do in your life anymore where you are where phones are strictly prohibited? <laughs> I mean, heck, you can even bring your phone to church now. I you mean, can't... like there's really no sacred ground anymore for where you can't take your phone outside of ex- Augusta National, except for Augusta National, right? <laughs> and so that is pretty remarkable. So, I want to ask you this: what, Okay, what was one thing about? That being there that was surprising to you that like tv didn't do it justice
1: this it's such an easy answer and i feel like everybody says it but it is the first thing that stands out it is the undulation of the course how, like, you, you hear about how tough of a walk it is, and we'll get to our preview in a moment. Is Tiger going to play? But when people talk about that now, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. Like, you don't realize whether it be the second hole to downhill par 5, or 10. 10 was the hole that I spent the most time on, that kind of 10, 11, you know, and then walking over to Amen Corner. You don't realize how crazy of a yeah. walk it is, and that some of these holes, every shot, it feels like is a side hill, downhill, uphill lie, and you're going up and down and up and down, and I, I can't even imagine how grueling it is to have to walk that, especially if you get hot weather that weekend. Like That was outside of just the pure perfection, which I was expecting, but you're still blown away with. It was just the simple fact of I couldn't believe how tough of a walk it could possibly be to play.
2: Yeah. And not only the walk, but also getting your golf ball to stay where you want it to stay. If you're yeah. playing it right. I mean, so the, some of the points that you mentioned, I totally agree with like 10, it almost looks like you could take a golf ball and throw it off of the 10th tee and it would just roll right? 240 yards
1: down the hill, left around the corner. It's that it's,
2: downhill. It looks like a ski slope. <laughs> it
1: does, yeah. man. It's got, and two's kind of two's not quite as severe, but it's somewhat downhill. Yeah. So uh, absolutely nuts. So let's get to a, a, a preview of the tournament in terms of who we think go- is going to win. So let's uh, do you, do you have your odds out in front of you? You you ready to go? sell it
2: are, you. Haven't been studying for this for six hours. Like so I I've have.
1: already locked my pick in, and I've, I look. I'm going to expand it. I'm going to I'm going to you know move some monies around to different golfers and stuff. Diversify but the portfolio. You got to diversify going in. And I don't you know we'll get to listener uh, questions here in a moment. Are from the gallery segment. One person wanted golfing gambling tips. I will say for golf gambling for me, the majority of what I do is mid round like live action betting. If you're looking for a good you know good line because you could put a bet on. Anybody going into a tournament and they come out and shoot a seventy-five in the opening round, it's like, well, that <laughs> that bets down the drain. So I like usually waiting for Saturday to kind of come and see who's catching hot and who's playing well on the back nine, and then you start betting them live. Uh, but who are some of the names that stand out? Give me give me a favorite, a, a middle of the road tier guy, and a, and a long shot candidate.
2: Okay. Gosh, I mean, there's there there's so many that that we could pick. My my golden goose this year is Brooks Kefka. You're going Brooksy. He's always in contention at majors. Always. And I feel like Brooks is that guy that is going to be at or near the lead on Saturday is when the real tournament begins, right? That if I don't pick him, I'm going to look at that leaderboard and be like, of course he's right there. Why Why did I not think he was going to be at <laughs> or near the top? Always there. So that's my horse, the like the leader. Okay. Um,
1: what, are his, what is he about, plus 1,400? Where is he at right now? I think somewhere in that range. Yeah,
2: you know those odds more yeah. than me.
1: He's he, always, he's I know he's- like
2: the, I think he's on the top seven. Yeah. So, you know, you've got like Rom and Morikawa and Dustin Johnson, Justin Thomas. Scotty Scheffler,
1: new world number one. He's a big favorite for people going in. I wouldn't be surprised to see him do well either. I mean, the way he's playing right now, it's nuts. He's got a great perspective on it, too. I saw an interview with him where he's like, nothing's changed. I'm world number one. I went and played card games on the back deck with my wife for three hours. How solid is he? I expect to win. This is awesome that I'm in contention, but, you know, it's nothing about my life is changing. He's got a great perception about it.
2: I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if he did really well. So my middle of the pack guy, I think he's down probably like the, I think it's like 45 or 50 to 1, is Joaquin Neiman. Ooh, I feel like that's European's good t- tend to do well at Augusta. I like his temperament. He's played well recently. Um, I just feel like he's got some good mojo going in. And at 50 to 1, if that's what it is, I think it's like 45 or 50 to 1. There's some good value there. It's
1: totally great value there. There's he won gonna...
2: at Riviera and he, he did. that was his first PGA tour win, I believe. And I think his odds to win that were like two fifty or something, really long odds. So I just feel like he's one of those guys that will just quietly do his job, and all of a sudden you'll look up and he'll be in contention on Sunday.
1: So Brooks Kefka is at plus 1,800, so he shows up just outside. Actually, you can get really good value if you like Brooksie, because uh, he's just about outside or, or near the back end of the top 10 in terms of uh, favorites going in. Joaquin Neiman, plus 4,500. So those are those are really good odds on Joaquin Neiman. You got any long shots you like?
2: I've been watching Eric Van Ruyen. Okay. Same, same spelling as my name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, You got to pick a long shot and like any, any long shot, you'll you'll get someone to be like, seriously, you think (laughs) that's the name, (laughs) but he's been playing well recently. I, again, I like his temperament. Like he doesn't seem like he gets too high or low, which I think bodes well at Augusta because you're going to get some bad breaks and be in some situations where it can get pretty frustrating. And I just feel like he stays pretty calm. And so I like him. He was at one
1: fifty. One. Ooh, those are good odds too. You know, it's funny about golfers, and I do this, I don't know if I do this in other sports, but I don't like guys for certain reasons. Like little things bother me as a fan. This is how like, picky what's an I am. Example? He wears like the Capri pants, yeah. Not the, but the yeah. whatever, the high, you know, whatever. He wears those pants, and when I see him, it bothers me. Yeah, Streelman does it. He wears his sunglasses like on the back of his neck while he's playing, and it drives me nuts because yeah. that would bother me as a yeah. golfer. Like I'm thinking about swinging, and they're falling off. So that whenever you bring that name up, that's the first thing that pops to my mind is I hate that guy's pants. It's
2: funny that <laughs> I like I'm the same way about like finding little quirks about people, but then we allow that to be the reason we're either gonna pick them or not pick them. Totally, it, it turns into a rooting interest. You, probably you probably have things that you like about players, like the way they dress or what they do, and therefore you're. To pick them, you're gonna be more likely to pick them in, in like a betting situation. Like,
1: who's the dude uh, from the Corn Fairy Toys? it Satith. Who's the guy that's he was in contention in Phoenix. Sahithi so Gala. Yeah, so he he bursts onto the scene and he's got a win, I know, at Valero. So just so editors know, we're recording this on Friday. So we don't know who's going to win the Valero and earn the automatic bid into the tournament. Uh, we also don't know if Tiger Woods is going to play or not as of yet, but hopefully he does because I'd love to see the big cat out there. He he bothers me because he drops his club after every. Like he'll hit a good shot. It's 14 feet away from the pen and drop his iron. Yeah, he's it's pretty like, emotional. Like, come on, man. Okay, yeah. Yeah, let's hold on to our club there. All right, so I like your picks. I'm going to go my pick this week, and it has been uh, my pick for the last like three Masters. And I'm gonna ride this train till it till it till it returns something for me. Uh, I'm on Roy McElroy. Roy McElroy needs the Masters to finish the career Grand Slam. His T degree numbers have been great. He just hasn't had great finishes in tournaments, but he, I feel like he's playing well. Yeah. He just is not a name that's getting a ton of attention because he hasn't piled up wins yet. And he's at plus eighteen hundred, so same odds as Brooksy. So that that's my 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 lead horse. Going a little bit further down, i got to go Tony Finau, plus 5,500. Always love gambling on Tony Finau in the Masters. I feel like he plays well there. People forget about him being in that final group that your Tiger won. Yep. And you know everybody remembers Molinari hitting his ball in the water. He was in that group and yeah. had a great shot to win that day. Yep. And then the further down you go, I. <laughs> it's kind of a trendy pick. I'm going to go Hoagie, Tom Hoagie, okay. who has been out of nowhere in the mix, I feel like, in every tournament this year. And you can get him where his plus 10,000 odds. So what the hell, man? I'm <laughs> throwing you, a hoagie on a get, hoagie. Can
2: you get him at like a finished top 10 or something like that? Oh, you for sure can. Because yeah. I could
1: see that happening. I don't know if I don't can see. I, I don't know see. about winning, yeah. But, you know, hey, top five, top 10 kind of finish. Harold Varner's way down there, too, and he's been playing pretty well this year. So uh, there you go. There are our master, uh, Masters picks. We'd love to hear yours at Grip City Golf on Twitter. Shout us out. Let us know who's uh, who you have winning the tournament. You can't brag about... After the tournament, you got to let us know before the tournament kicks off who you think is going to win. You got a fun game plan, and I want to get to this. So, uh, you you came up with a little, you know, Augusta or Portland game that I I think listeners are going to enjoy.
2: Yeah. So, I listen to your show the, the your day job and I've always thought that stat or story game is pretty fun. It's 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 interesting to hear a funny stat and it's also engaging because I find myself kind of participating
1: in it, right? You know, we'll play and, along.
2: Yeah, and I want to give props to cuz I think Swygard is kind of the one who facilitates that, right?
1: He's the mastermind so, of the game. Okay, yeah.
2: Okay, that's what I thought. I figured he was the smart man in the room on that Yeah, he, He's the smartest
1: stuff. one of the three of us, there's no doubt. And it also should be noted, I'm gonna be terrible at this game because I am the worst statter story player in the history. <laughs> like I I am my all time percentage is probably guessing right below 20%. Okay.
2: So what we're gonna do here is I'm gonna give you a number, okay, like which is a stat, and you're gonna tell and then I'm gonna um, read you what the stat is and you tell me if that's true about Portland. Or true about the stat about Augusta. Okay. Okay? I think that makes sense. It'll make sense as we go along, It right? makes it, yeah. So, so it's got... not a
1: stat or story. It's a stat or stat. But is it Augusta or is it Portland? Thank you.
2: Okay. You said it better than me. All right. You ready? <laughs> ready. The first number is 57. Is it the number of strip clubs in Portland? Or is it the highest nine-hole score ever at the Masters?
1: 57. Oh golly! <laughs> there's a lot of strip clubs in Portland, dude. Who would shoot a 57 in nine holes on a on a in a Masters tournament? So here's where I get into trouble with this game. You overthink it. I overthink it every time because my my immediate reaction is there's no chance in hell anybody's ever shot a 57 at Augusta. There's no chance. I know we have an s ton of strip clubs in Portland. 57 sounds about right. So I'm going to play the George Costanza game here. And I'm going to go the opposite of my my. <laughs> My gut, I'm going to say that the the Masters is uh, 57, the highest score.
2: That is correct. Who shot a 57? Billy Casper shot 57 on the back nine in round one of the 2005 Masters, in oh route to God. a 106. However, he didn't turn in his scorecard that day. It was his. It was his last round. You know, he's a former champion. Yeah. Um, It was his last round at Augusta at the Masters, and he didn't turn in a scorecard. So it's technically unofficial, Uh, but he putted it out, finished on 18, shot 57 on the back nine, and for a 106.
1: I mean, that's got to be, obviously, as a past champion, there's some emotion that goes into that, but can you imagine playing in that group, trying to focus and win a Masters tournament, and you got a guy out there, what did you say, you shoot a 106? 106. I mean, that's... (laughs) I mean, that's what I would shoot at Augusta, I would like to think. Probably not from the tips. I'd probably be more like a 115, but holy hell. Yeah. All right. All right. One for one.
2: All right. All right. The next number is $2.07 million. Okay. two point oh seven. Is it the average salary of the Portland Trailblazers' current starting lineup of <laughs> Drew Eubanks, <laughs> Elijah Hughes, Brandon Williams, <laughs> CJ Ellaby, and Keon Johnson? Or- is it the winner's check at this year's Masters tournament
1: I don't really have a gut feeling on this one so I can't play the opposite angle I want to say if I remember the Masters prize is I know it's not it, the players is the top top of the top and it's north of 3 million dollars I want to say the Masters is like 2.5 something and a little bit higher than that so I'm going to go and everybody on the Blazers is on a 10-day cheap contract I mean they're not making squat and that's pretty low for an NBA player I'm going to go I'm going to go Portland It's Augusta. It is two point oh seven. That's that's what the winner takes home.
2: The average salary for the current starting lineup, and I know the starting lineup is kind of a revolving door. You (laughs) don't really know who's going to play. It's currently right now is one point two (laughs) million. The average of their starting five. Okay, and kind of a side note on on night one of the NBA season this year. You want? We want to guess what the average is. Oh God! Because you had then. Dame,
1: you had CJ Nurkic making twelve million. I mean, I would say Covington, probably Covington Powell. Covington and Powell. Yeah. I mean, you got to be at close to twenty million dollars. Twenty two. Twenty two. So twenty times more <laughs> than what it is now.
2: Things are going great, and we don't want to get too sidetracked on Blazer stuff. But <laughs> like, I when I saw that, I just thought that's that's a crazy. That
1: step. is, lady. That's how you tank. That That is great A tanking right there to go from $20 million in salary short of $2 million. All right. Next number is 12. 12, okay. Is it the
2: number of bridges in Portland that cross the Willamette River? Oh,
1: God. I should know that.
2: <laughs> or is it the number of seconds it took for Tiger's famous chip shot on 16 at the 2005 Masters to make its journey from <laughs> club face to the bottom of the cup?
1: 12. So here's the sad part about this. I should know this answer. So this is how much of a degenerate I am. In my spare time when there's nothing on TV, and I'm not a big college basketball guy. The Blazers suck. I'll watch a big NBA game every now and then. In my spare time this time of year, you know what I watch when I'm laying around? Masters replays? Old master highlights. And I legitimately, like four nights ago, was watching the final round of the 2005 Masters. Because I had forgot. I mean, I remember the highlight... But I had forgotten how big his lead was, and how it slowly slipped away, and it was up in the air going into 16. Like I had forgotten some of those details.
2: Yeah. Well, Demarco was up, and then Tiger he tanked went up. that yeah. morning, and
1: then and then Tiger. There, there
2: was a weather delay, and Tiger came out and made six straight birdies or something nuts. And he just, just torched everybody.
1: Yeah. So I should know. I literally just watched this the other night, but I did not count on my on my YouTube oh, you scroller how long this thing was. I don't feel like it was twi- quite 12 seconds. So I'm gonna go. But I also don't think there's 12 bridges that go over water. I'm going to go Portland on this one.
2: You are correct, Portland. Okay. There's 12 bridges. However, you were wrong on... The, Is it longer it was, than 12? It was 16 seconds. No S. Yes. Yeah, I had the That's sports wild. science team at Grip City Golf look into this for me and confirmed it's exactly 16 seconds.
1: Has there ever been a better branding situation than tiger having a nike golf ball on the 16th hole at augusta hang on the edge slowly rolling with the nike logo like showing as it's just going into the camera
2: everything about that is like nothing you'd ever seen before nothing you'll ever see again no, yeah it's from just, the man that does stuff like that it yes. wasn't like it was tom hoagie it <laughs> right was,
1: some no-name guy on the back nine that's, it was yeah. tiger
2: i mean that was just one of the craziest moments in golf history
1: Vern lundquist on the call I All, thought he was going to have a heart attack. All-timer, he man. Through. In your life, have you ever seen something like that?
2: All right, next number is one. Number one, okay. Do we still got time for more of these? Yeah, we got, yeah, yeah, Okay. Yeah. We can go as long as we want, right?
1: This is a podcast, man. Go. Nobody's telling us to go home.
2: All right, n- one. Is it the number of volcanoes within the city limits of Portland, Oregon, or the number of dollars you would need to purchase a pimento cheese sandwich at the Masters? <laughs>
1: I feel I look I know that they're cheap and I remember that being you mentioned that earlier that standing on how cheap everything is at Augusta I remember that standing out, but I think they were more than $1, and I feel like there's, it's is it Powell Butte? Is it Mount Tabor? Like there, I swear I've heard this before, that there's one active volcano in the Portland city limits, so I'm going to go Portland on this one. You're right,
2: Portland. Mount Tabor, Mount Tabor is, is an extinct what, yeah. volcano, one of six extinct volcanoes
1: in, in the U.S. that are within a city's limits. Look at the educational impact we're having on the golfing community. Next number, we got one more. How much are the p- pimento cheese sandwiches by the way, do you oh, know? Oh, sorry, buck 50. Buck 50. Okay. I knew they were cheap. I didn't feel like they were quite yeah. a dollar, and they're delicious by the way. Oh, they're amazing. They're just fantastic.
2: And then if you you can't even really find a pimento cheese anywhere else, but no. if if you saw it on a menu somewhere else, you probably wouldn't order it. But when you're there at the Masters, <laughs> like, it's like, I'll take
1: 3 of them. I have to do, and then get like four $2 beers yeah. with it. It's crazy. Yeah. They they make up for it when you go into the concession or the, the to buy the tank. apparel, the merch. Yeah. That's I mean, I spent um uh, a lot of a lot of money. Well, in that and a shop. lot of
2: people go in there. Not to get sidetracked, but a lot of people go in there regularly and just buy as much of stuff and then they'll hawk it on eBay I mean, You can or make something. a ton of money yeah. off of that stuff. Which sucks for people like you and me who are just there to get one polo and right. everything can be kind of picked over. That's why, again, it's good to go there on Wednesday. Yes. Get first pick.
1: I got a buddy who's going this year and I told him go there first thing. Totally. I Just get, get it over with. There's a UPS store literally next door yeah. so you can box your stuff and ship it home to you yeah. like right on site. Yeah. Go get it out of the way and then go enjoy your day watching golf. Yeah.
2: All right, next number is 10. 10. Is it the number of Dutch Bros locations within a 15-minute drive of downtown Portland? Okay. Or the number of Waffle House locations within a 15-minute drive of Augusta National?
1: (laughs) That's the other part that stands out, getting back to what surprises you about Augusta, is how crappy that town is. Oh, man. It is a total dump. And then out of nowhere, it's like these pearly gates open up. It yeah. just it blows you away that that nice of a course in these, the Im, the financial impact has not made its way to the surrounding areas. Yeah. And John Daly sets up like across the street in a strip joint in a Waffle House signing autographs. Like it is nuts. Um, I'm I'm gonna go Waffle Houses. I'm gonna go Augusta.
2: The answer is Portland. We have that many Dutch Bros. Wow. There's 10 within 15 minute drive of downtown Portland. <laughs> I love it. There are 16 Waffle Houses <laughs> within 15 minutes. 16. Hey, it's the king of the south, man. So, okay, there's there's about 200,000 people that live in Augusta. Okay, <laughs> Portland's like 5 times bigger than Augusta, okay? So, doing some quick math on that, imagine if there were 80 of Dutch Bros or any other establishment in Portland within 15 minutes of downtown. Like that's how pervasive that the Waffle House is in Augusta. That there's 16 of them in a smallish town. Like it's <laughs> it's half the Augusta's half the size of Eugene, and there's 16. Waffle there's houses one every place.
1: other block, man. Yeah. It's like Starbucks in Seattle. You turn around, you're gonna run into a Waffle House.
2: Have you been to a Waffle House before?
1: I have never eaten at a Waffle House.
2: It's kind of fun. It's like yeah. Denny's, but there's a little bit more of a novelty to it. You can sit at the counter, and it, there's it's kind of a tourist thing if you're not from around there.
1: It's big for the drunk crowd, I feel like, too, in the middle of the night to yeah. go and soak up some waffle. Like IHOP, Denny's is kind of what it'd be for us, but right. the, the Waffle House. Well, there's our master picks. I love the game. I I did better than Statter Story. I, this is a game that I like. We might have to keep this going. I'm yeah. successful at this. Uh, let's close up this episode, episode one of the Grip City Golf Podcast. With uh, we always ask for your comments, questions, suggestions, and we got some good ones here. So this is our from the gallery segment. Aaron wants to know, and this I honestly I saw this tweet come in, and I've been thinking about it ever since, and I still don't know if I finalized my answer. You get to play three holes and only three holes forever at Augusta. What are those three? And one of them must be on the front nine.
2: Wow. The, I would so I can
1: only play three holes. Only play three time. holes at Augusta. So, and it's the only ones you can ever play. Okay,
2: so to to stretch it out, I would choose par fives, and I. Th- uh, between uh, two and eight, I would choose two. I think so too. Okay, so that's my front nine it's hole. It's an
1: easier hole downhill, turns to the left a little bit.
2: Yeah, and the green's interesting. There's a bunch of bunkers around there. Yeah. And it's a long hole. I, if I only have three holes to play, I might as well, you know, stretch it out a little bit.
1: Eight is a very intimidating hole. That, speaking of the undulation of the course, like yeah. that second shot for those guys is totally blind. You yeah. can't, it's so uphill, you can't see anything. Yeah,
2: totally. I mean, that's a good hole too, but I'd pick two on the front nine. I
1: agree. I'd go two as well.
2: And then, um, my other two are, would be on the back nine. I would take, I'd probably just go 12 and 13. Um, you know, 12 is arguably the signature hole. I mean, 16 is up there too, but you know, 12 is probably the signature hole yeah. if you had to pick one and that, that'd be a fun shot to play over and again. And then 13 is kind of like one, a one B. So I think I'd go, yeah, I'd go 2 12, 13.
1: I hate to do it, but I have to agree with you. I've been I've been racking my brain of what I want to go because I think sixteen doesn't get the credit it deserves. Twelve gets all the spotlight of the par threes. Yeah. Sixteen is such a cool hole, yeah. and that and I've told people who are ever going, if there's any listeners who are going. I actually thought the amen corner area, when you see it, you're like, oh my God, this is amen corner. Yeah. I almost thought an area that rivaled it is the when you go over by 15, 16, 17, because you can see the approach shots on the 15th, which is a par five water in front of it. Mm-hmm. The submergio hole, if you will. 16 is the par three over water. And then you got the 17th tee box. So 15 and 16 would be tough to choose against. Yeah. But I, yeah, amen corner, like how do you not? It's amen corner. Yeah. That's Augusta. Like, yeah. So I, I'm with you. I think I'd go with those ones. Um, do you have any? This is from Taylor. Do you have any pre-round golf routines or traditions? Traditions unlike any other.
2: Um, my tradition is to try to get there on time. Uh, you know me. I I don't usually hit balls, and you're not a warm-up guy. I, I'm I'm not, and it's not because it's like I have something against warming up. It's just because I'm running late, and like yeah. you know, we got to get to the tee.
1: Um, you get two little kids running around. It's a little tough.
2: Yeah. I don't I don't really have. I don't really have any traditions, to be honest with you. Do you?
1: That, I mean, that's my—I I feel like everybody has New Year's resolutions. I have golf resolutions this year, and one of my golf resolutions that I'm not hitting a 1,000% on yet, so I need to work on, is hitting a bucket and hitting some putts before every round. Wow. Because I do that—I'm the same way where I'm, I'm late to everything— and so you're. I hate that feeling. And then you have the one round. I had this once at Heron Lakes where I showed up, literally grabbed my cart, sprinted to the first tee box at Great Blue, and proceeded to shoot like a 37 on the front. It was like oh, wow. this is great. I don't need to warm up. And then I shot like a 48 on the back and just <laughs> fell apart like it always does. But I just I it feels so much better when I've hit a couple of shots. Doesn't have to be a large bucket, just get a little tempo going, see some putts roll in, that confidence, you know, the energy. So that is my new routine. It's a golf uh, uh, you know, kind of New Year's resolution for I've me. I've
2: struggled to find a correlation between the good rounds I've played and what my warm up was before totally. that round. Cause I like I've had situations like yours where I either hit balls, play well, um, out of the gates and played horrible on the back, or vice versa, where I don't hit balls and play great, and then bad. Right. You know, it's just it's so crazy, and so that's part of why I don't necessarily pursue balls because I just feel like it doesn't matter.
1: That's very. That's a good point. You, everybody has the rounds where you're hitting everything pure on the range, and you're like, "This is going to be the greatest day ever," yeah. and you double bogey the first hole. Like, yeah. what the hell
2: happened? Or it goes the other way, or, where you right. hit a terrible on the range and you play great, <laughs>
1: nothing but hosel rockets for twenty minutes, yeah. and then you birdie the first hole. Uh, last one from Duncan. He wants to know. I'd, I'd like to hear some connection between Portland. Goals Golf And the Portland Trail Blazers, who are the best Blazer golfers of all time, met Cliff Robinson at a charity event once, and I miss that fella. We miss we miss Uncle Cliffy, too. We actually have a fun story on Cliff Robinson. You and I do. Yeah, We played uh, years ago, probably you know, five, six years ago, somewhere in that range. We were playing a round of golf at Eastmoreland and realized... I want to say on the 6th hole, maybe 7th hole, somewhere in that range, that Cliff Robinson was in the group in front of us. And I actually got the chance to interview him after that. On the, on the radio show, and so I got to know him, and he was n- as nice as could be, and I always think back and wish that the interview would have happened before, because I could have flagged him down and said hi, and he would have recognized me, and we could yeah. have chatted him up at Eastmoreland, but he's Cliffy was my all-time favorite Blazer, so I miss him, and we saw him once at Eastmoreland. Is he a good golfer? I don't think I ever saw him actually hit a ball. I don't think he... I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I think he did it... I think a lot of guys play just as a way to stay in shape. I don't yeah. think he was as serious as some of the other... like. To my knowledge, I might be wrong on this. Waverly members can let me know, but uh, TP and Clyde, all those guys were members for years at Waverly. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't be shocked if some of them still are, especially TP because he lives in the area. Yeah,
2: I've seen Terry at golf at Eastmoreland actually. Um, he was playing in something, and his I just saw him hitting range balls, and I was like, man, he's got a pretty good move. I don't know what his handicap is, but I, he's got to be up there, for one of the better at least recent
1: blazers it it'd be fun
2: to go and research and find out who yeah. like which who are the best blazer golfers
1: of all time see the best handicaps the best play you know it's a, it, i think it's more of a baseball thing than a basketball thing a totally. lot of baseball players play golf especially pitchers pitchers cuz you got 4 yeah. days where you got nothing to do and then it's your day to play wasn't
2: the like the starting lineup for the Atlanta Braves wasn't like when you had like Smoltz oh. and Glavine and Maddox, weren't they all like un- like scratch players all scratch players yeah. cuz they
1: literally every city they go to they play 4 days yeah. and then the, the, their day to pitch they would show up and pitch what a life. And then go and play golf because you don't have to be there till every mo- almost every game. So it's seven o'clock at night. I wake heard up in the morning that golf. Smoltz
2: used to play even on days that he was pitching. That's ballsy. A night game.
1: That's some MJ stuff where he's like pounding two cases of beer and then going yeah. and scoring 50 points later that night. Like, and
2: I don't, I don't even think that's just some wise tale. I think that was legit true. Like Smoltz would go out <laughs> and play in the city that they were in
1: if, on the days he was pitching. Hey, addicted to the game, man. I can't blame him. When well,
2: and he's a Hall of Famer, so it's like, it you know, worked. obviously it worked.
1: <laughs> it worked out for him. Well, that'll do it for us, folks. Hey, uh, again, I know we opened the show with it, but we can't thank you enough. All the you know, interaction and the responses we've seen. To the Grip City Golf podcast, we appreciate it. Keep it coming. Don't forget, go follow us on Twitter at Grip City Golf. Uh, interact with us. Any questions or comments or topics you want us to bring up, feel free to fire them away anytime at Grip City Golf. And uh, I know it's it's the support has meant the world to us, and so we're having fun doing this. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks again to Peter Jacobson. Great, great job tracking that down. He was awesome. Uh, thanks again to David, the Blazer Putt guy. We're going to call him Blazer Putt guy. It was fantastic. So those guys were awesome. Uh, and Eric, buddy. Hey, let me grab my Arnold Palmer here. Cheers, bro. Hey, cheers. Until uh, episode two. All right, let's do it. Two down and uh, many, many more to go. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Grip City Golf Podcast. I hit
2: it
3: hard, man. Oh!